Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, look at you. It is Labor Day weekend, moose hunting has begun, and the last couple of days of the fair, and here you are. Good on you. Nice job. You're in for a treat um, today. We're launching our new series into the book of Judges, but also we have a longtime friend of Church on the Rock and a personal friend of mine who is back with us here Today and so, um, without any further delay, would you welcome Pastor Marty Sloan to the platform? So, um, Marty's a large man. I know. Um, uh, by that, I mean built like a football player. Yeah, that's all I meant. Okay. So, okay. Uh, but he's getting ready to go on a hunting trip with David Pepper, our founding pastor, which I've been on this particular trip several times. Um, Marty and I were speaking in the back just a few moments ago, and he said, I just don't know what to expect. And then he described to me how he was getting to the location and then how he was exiting the location. And I realized um, there are a couple of key pieces that he was missing because it isn't just that he's landing there in a plane and he's leaving in a plane the type of plane and where he's landing and all of that will be a great discovery for a guy from Chicago. Um, but uh, he's also rafting from where the plane lands to camp and then rafting from camp to where the plane will pick him up, which was an aha moment just a little while I, ago. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, so I know that now. So he said, well, I need chest waders. And I said, oh, at least. Um, so, but not knowing this yesterday, I picked up a gift for you. Um, because anytime you're rafting, and in particular rafting anywhere near David Pepper, it is always good to have spare parts um, around. <laughs> I've discovered this over the years, and so what I did um, yesterday is just grabbed you an emergency paddle. Um, <laughs> now, I know, compared to Marty, it looks tiny. This thing is actually four feet long. It's hard to tell from where you're at. Now, I know it looks small now, but, um, but when you lose an oar... You're going to be Just so happy to have this. that you have that to beat David with or something. Um, so I'll, I'll take it over here and hold on to it for you. Let me pray, and we're going to get started. Jesus, thank you for my friend. Thank you for the relationship you've built over the years with our church, um, and then the relationship you've built personally. It's been a blessing in my life. And I pray that today, as we hear the Word of God preached, we would be people who listen as though we were hearing from you, and that our lives would be transformed as a result. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hello, Church on the Rock. How are you folks doing today? Everybody doing good? Come on, who's glad to be in God's house today? Yeah, it is so good to be here. Love your pastor. Come on, big hand for Pastor Jonathan and Kittree, just tremendous uh, people, dear friends, and uh, thankful for all the memories. I have had a great time. I was thinking yesterday, I've been coming to Alaska for over 10 years, uh, every year, and uh, I actually flew in your plane at one point in time. I didn't, yeah, I flew in the back, you flew the plane. Anyway, so everything in Alaska is an adventure, and, and everything in Alaska is bigger than they actually tell you. I've learned a couple of things. 
couple of things about Alaskans that counting is not your strong suit. Um, example, if you're told it's three miles, it may be more like six or seven miles. If you're told it's 20 degrees, it may be more like negative 20 degrees. If you're told you'll be out on a Tuesday, it may be more like a Thursday. So you're not really firm on these things that in my context, if you tell me it's three miles, I think it's three miles. The other part about this, I think three miles in a car and you think three miles in a boat, on a trail, on an ATV, something else other than a vehicle. I'm thinking to myself, this is doable, but the context is always different. So I've learned about Alaskans. The context is never the same as mine. And then I also learned this, that the Alaskans love to make fun of us lower 48 people for our lack of ability to survive under extreme circumstances. So thank you for being so loving. And uh, your pastor is a chief agitator of, of this. And so he loves to find me in places. In fact, I was on a float trip last year and going into the float trip, there was talks about different types of meat that might be coming on the float trip. Things like cat, or you call it lynx, I call it cat, which is the same as like a domestic cat. And other things like bear, which I don't think you're supposed to eat bear because it can be, you know, make you sick. And so we had that conversation about me not wanting any of that on the trip. I clarified that. And then I'm sitting at breakfast and I'm eating breakfast and Someone says, so how's your burrito? And I said, man, it's really good. They said, are you enjoying the bear meat that's in the burrito? I went, the what? <laughs> yeah, you're eating bear sausage in that burrito right now. Oh, oh, and how was the lynx you had last night in your, in your uh, chicken fried rice with add lynx meat? And I said, I had lynx last night? That's cat. <laughs> and they looked at me and I was, had this dumb look and Pastor Jonathan goes, what's wrong? Does the cat got your tongue right now? So... <laughs> Anyway, I just want you to know I've experienced some great moments here, also some moments that prove I am more suited for the lower 48. Let's just put it that way. Get your Bible go real fast. I get to open the Book of Judges series today uh, with you. I'm excited about this. There's so much going on. In fact, if you're a student of the Bible, I I'd recommend you always bring your Bible to church and bring a notepad and paper so you can take some notes or even in your phone, however you choose to do that. I've also learned about phones. The phones also have Amazon apps and check your mail, pay your bills. So I would encourage you, if you can, to bring a hard piece of paper and a pencil or pen and an actual Bible because if you're like me, when I'm thumbing through my Bible, there's times that my thumb moves over the U version and I find myself shopping for shoes on Amazon. So anyway, I know none of you have ever done that before at church, shopped on Amazon while the preacher preached. But anyway, God still loves you for doing that. And we get to kick off this series with this big idea about finishing God's business for your life, God's plan. And so I want to take you, first of all, to the book of Judges, and we're going to read the back part of chapter one, then lean into the first part of chapter two for our context today. But as you're taking notes, in fact, you might want to do this later on. You might want to go home and write on a piece of paper two columns. One column will be God's people, God's Israelites, the, the tribes of Israel. And then you might want to write on the other column the different names of the tribes of other countries, other nations, other peoples that God was bringing Israel through and to to possess the land he had for them. So you might want to take a piece of paper and make two columns. One column is God's people, the Israelites. You'll, you'll see names like the Benjamites. That's God's people. And then on the other side, you might make a column for those who are not God's people. And that would be tribes like the, uh, like, like the Jebusites. If you go far enough, you'll get to the Mosquito Bites, and that's the Alaskan people that are in the Old Testament. As we're opening up this series, I want to take you to a couple thoughts about God to kick off the conversation. When you read the Bible, read the Bible to learn who God is. 
not just who you are or how this applies to you or what you can find for your life, the nugget of the day, but learn to read the Bible to discover the character, the nature, and the heart of God. That, that's the big idea because if you, the more you know God, the more you can live the life God has for you and the more you realize he is a good, come on, say God is. Come on, say God is a good God. Now, I'm interactive, so it's okay to talk back, yell back. Just don't throw oars at me while I preach, all I ask you not to do. Uh, and don't forget to refresh the app, too. That's important in all things. I'm going to give you to kick this off today a couple key things about God that we're going to see in Judges. First of all, we're going to see that God is a God who gives grace to undeserving people. Aren't you thankful that God still gives grace to people who don't deserve it? Anybody here today a candidate of undeserved grace in your life? Absolutely. But we're going to see that because we tend to think of God in this context as being a judging God. He's a God of truth, God of righteousness, and a God that just can't wait to point out where you mess up. And that is not the truth about God. God is a God that gives grace to undeserving people. Second thought about God in the context of judges is that God commands and will not negotiate lordship. He won't, he's not gonna negotiate his position to accommodate your perspective. Now that's hard for us because in particular in Western theology and Western Christianity, we tend to think about things in our context of our culture. And we, if you don't know it, have a very uh, given over mindset to the idea that there is a process. If I don't agree with you, I can vote you out of office or I can change the posture. Let me just help you today. Nobody voted God in. Nobody votes God out. He is God. And his lordship will not be negotiated based upon your perspective. You can't ratchet God down to accommodate where you're coming from. We have to get where he is coming from. The next thing we see in the judges is there's a, there's a tension between law and grace, conditional and unconditionally. There's a tension there. And we'll unpack that today a little bit in the journey of Israel going in and taking the land that God had for them. And the fourth quick thing to just kind of tell you about God in this whole Judges series is that God himself is in charge. God's in charge. He's the boss. Everybody say God is. Come on, say God is the boss. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means he's the boss. That means whatever he says. Have you ever as a parent told your kid, I told you or I said this to you and you expect the kid to respond in kind, to respond to your authority and you clarified that. That's the perspective we have about God in this conversation, that God is the Lord and he is in charge and he will not negotiate down his lordship or his authority to accommodate your position. Now, that is true for you and that is true for me because we're in this together. So let's go back to the scripture real fast. Let's go to Judges chapter 1. Um, and let's unpack the idea that God is a God that rescues people. How many think God, he rescues people? How many think God, he's a faithful rescuer? Anybody here, I love the story of the worship leader today. He has a, a, a victory celebration of a time and space in which God set him free. And today he is that walking story. Is there anybody here today in the house that God rescued you from a place that you're no longer at? God has set you free. He's delivered you and you're on the right path. This day. You have a story in which you're part of God's rescue plan. All of us should have a hand raised high because everybody was a sinner destined for damnation. And then Jesus stepped into our life. Do you think? 
thank God for today that Jesus stepped into your life. Everybody has a story that God rescued them. Let's go to Judges chapter one, verse 21. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites. There is the beginning tension already. The Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites. Benjamites, God's people. Jebusites, dwelling in Canaan, the place God had for Israel, they don't drive them out. That's important, don't forget that. Who were living in Jerusalem to this day. The Jebusites lived there with the Benjamites. Now the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel and the Lord was with them. When they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz, the spies saw a man coming out of the city and said to him, show us how to get into the city and we will treat you well. This is important. You got to hear every word in this story coming in. We will treat you well. So he showed them the city and put the city to the sword, but spared the man and his whole family. And then he went to the land of the Hittites, where he built a city called and called it Luz, which is its name to this day. But Manasseh, that's God's people, did not drive out the people of Beth Shan, nor the something, nor the door, nor the something else, nor the Megiddo. And they're surrounding the settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that place. The Canaanites were determined to live in that place. Hadn't God given this place to his people? And the Canaanites are going, we're going to stay here. Now watch what happens in this conversation. Keep going. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out. What's the next word? Completely. You got to get all this. God had given a clear instruction, drive out. Israel's coming in and they're already trying to negotiate and modify God's plan. Keep reading our text. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in, in, in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live among them. Neither did Zebulun, God's people, drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron, nor Nahalo, or the Canaanites lived there, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. Again, God said, drive them out. Zebulun said, hey, we'll put them to work. Keep reading here, verse 31. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko, or Sidon, or Elab, or Azib, uh, or Helba, or something else, or something else. The Asherites lived among the Canaanites, inhabitants of the land, because they did not, what? Drive, come on, say it, drive them out. Are you seeing the rhythm here happening in this complete story? Every place they stepped, God said, I'm gonna take you through these people, but every time they hit the point of contact, they say, well, we'll go a different plan with these people. Keep reading the story, here we go. Did not drive them out, verse uh, 34. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country. In other words, you guys get on up there. Not allowing them to come down. Go up there, but you can't come down. And the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Eris somebody and somebody else. I could try to read that, but you laugh at me. But when the power of the tribes of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. Think about this. In other words, God said, drive them out. They go, eh, we'll just put them to work. Keep reading verse 36. The boundary of the Amorites was the Scorpion Pass to Selah and beyond. Now, when you look at this at first glance, it makes sense. Let's go in here. Let's take the land, but we'll just accommodate these people who are currently there. Let's just kind of come on in and we'll just kind of live around. Them. Kind of like buying a house from somebody and letting the former owner live there while you try to move in. 
God is saying, go in, take the land. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go with you. Drive them out completely. And then Israel, as they got in, they thought, well, we're going to modify this conversation. They, they were trying to create a workable scenario with all the other nations. And of course, coming with them was not just their nation, not just their tongue, but their gods, their idols. So what we have happening in the first part of the book of Judges is this picture that God had a plan for his people. His people saw the reality of stepping into the day-to-day of God's plan, and they thought to themselves, hey, we can modify this, and we can make it work, but that was not God's plan. Here's why. Listen close. The instruction God gave was to drive them out completely, not to to occupy with them. God gave a clear word. You're going to go in and drive them thoroughly out. And they got in and thought, well, let's adjust this. I had a guy in my office several years ago as I was doing some marital counseling with he and his wife. And what came up in the counseling session was that he had a prescription drug addiction that she called an addiction. He called it something he enjoyed, but his own words were this, was simply this. He says, I know when to stop just before I become addicted. To which I thought to myself, my dear friend, you're so deceived right now and you have no idea. Deception is such that you can think you're winning when you're losing by the second. And what she thought was an addiction and an issue in the marriage, he thought was something, hey, it's just recreational. I can stop before I become an addict. Isn't that what an addict always says? And here he is looking at me and looking at her. God had a plan. God's plan was to drive them out completely to fulfill the covenant of his promises. See, the deceptive nature of sin tries to create an accommodation for us in our sins instead of removing our sin completely. We try to accommodate the behavior, try to accommodate the lust, kind of try to accommodate the greed. We try to accommodate the addictive behavior. We, 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 we try to accommodate the lying. I only lie in certain terms or certain situations. I only do this here or there. I, I look at this here or there, but not someplace else. We try to accommodate, and God's saying to us, if you're going to step into my promises, you have to clean that out completely, not a partial alignment with anything else in the conversation. And of course, with these nations also came their what? Their gods. And that was a central issue for God himself. Now let's go real fast to Joshua, or Judges 2, verses 1 through 3. Judges, not Joshua. Because I said Joshua, if you get the chance, read Joshua 2. It's a great book going into Judges. Verse 1 through 3, here we go. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you, listen to this, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to your ancestors. I said, everybody say, I said. Come on, say, I said. Now watch this. When God says, I said, he's taken a posture of authority and clarity. I said to do this. And I said, I will do that. He's giving a position that says, my word is true. God keeps his promises to his people. And we thank God he keeps his promises to his people today. He said, I said, watch this. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. Do you see the problem already? God told him clearly, I'm going to keep my word with you, but you cannot make a covenant with anybody else. They have got to get out. 
Drive them out. I will go before you. I will be with you. I will help you. But don't make a covenant with them. And watch what it says here. But you shall break down their altars. And then he says, yet you have what? Dis... How they disobey. They didn't do what God said. Why have you done this? And I also said to you, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you. In other words, you didn't fix what I told you to fix. So now this will stay in your world as a trap for you and a problem to harass you in your future. And their gods become snares for you. So when we unpack this early part of Judges together, we kick off this series as a church family. When you look at the first part of this, we start seeing the problem already. The first part and the second part, we just read to your great lessons in the key word today. The key word is thoroughness. Everybody say thoroughness. Continuing thoroughly what God has said to do. Now, what's the big idea behind that? In fact, if you're a note taker, write this down. Listen close. Here we go. Thoroughness tells us that failure to complete God's assignment is a recipe for failure in your future calling. Failure to do what God has said to do is a recipe for failure in your future calling. When we hear the word of God come forth from a pulpit like this or watching online or or, or listening to a podcast and we hear what God has said we should do and then we begin to think to ourselves, well, I hear that and that's great and all that's good for the preacher, but you know, I'm gonna modify this to accommodate my plan, my agenda, and that itself is a recipe of failure. Because what you have to know about God is that tension between grace and law, conditional and unconditionally. And again, we kicked off by saying that God gives grace to undeserving people. Again, how many thank God he today still gives grace to people that don't quite deserve it? I thank God for it in my own life. As we look at the story of Judges, we start to realize that God made a promise and a covenant. But he also gave a condition that if they didn't respond well or obey his word, there would be a price to pay. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a book called Second Chronicles. You may have heard of chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turf their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive all their sin. I will heal their land. We talk about that verse, great verse, but on down at the end of that chapter, there's a different picture. And the picture is this. The picture is, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I will make this temple a desolate place. And then everybody who walks by will go, what happened here? And people will say that they disobeyed their God. Now think about that context. God is a gracious God. God's a covenant God. But God will not change his instruction to accommodate my perspective or your perspective. Because that's not how a covenant God works. When you look at all this taking place, God is saying, I promised you this but you decided to do that. There's a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 of the king. He was told by God to go out and destroy everybody. And the prophet of God goes up and goes, hey, did you destroy everybody? Oh yeah, we, 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 we took care of all things. We cleaned it all out. Every animal, every person, they're gone. And then the Samuel, the prophet goes, how come I hear some sheep in the background? What's that? And the king said, oh, I, I want to make a sacrifice. I disobeyed God's plan to offer God a sacrifice of these good sheep. 
And that's where you get the verse to obey is better than to sacrifice. So we start looking at the story of Israel going into God's promises and we begin to pass through all these thoughts. And there's a couple thoughts for us today. First of all, never trust common sense above God's plan. Years ago, I sent my wife on a little tour. I was throwing her a surprise birthday party. And um, I gave her instruction as every, every husband would do. We love to tell our wives what to do. Um, if you can live to tell about it. And so I gave her clear guidelines on, I need you to go from here to here, back to here. And the big idea was that when she got to this third location, I would be there and I would be there to lead the surprise. And she would be pleased with the surprise party. She would love me 10 times more for the day. It'd be a wonderful experience. She would be honored, blessed, and celebrated. We would all have a great time. That was the big idea. The problem is she decided to pivot on the instruction. And instead of going from here to here to here, she went right from here to here because in her mind that made more sense. And it actually did. The problem is I wasn't there when she got there. And so she walks into surprise birthday party. I'm not there yet. And the people look at her like, what are you doing here? The only person that got surprised that day was me. All because she didn't listen to what I told her to do. And that was the last time I tried to tell her to do anything. How often does God give us clarity on what to do with something and we think to ourselves, oh, we'll, we'll go a different direction. And then wonder why it doesn't come out on the other side. Oh God, I know you got a plan, but I'm gonna modify that to accommodate my desires. That's our big tension, right? We try to accommodate God's plan to our desires. Oh, I know you said to live a faithful life under my wife or my husband, but I've got, a, I've got some other ideas that, you know what, my, my circumstance is different, so I can modify that. It doesn't work that way. There, there, there's a reason that God's plan is crystal clear to us in Scripture and that the outcome is guaranteed to us by his covenants, but when we try to adjust God's plan, we can't expect the same outcome. I had a friend of mine tell me one time I was at the gym working out with it, and I was, we was talking about, about Jesus, and this came up, and it was Easter time. I was inviting guys to church. And so I said to this guy, I said, hey, why don't you come to church? You know, come, it's, it's Easter, just come hang out. Now I don't do that stuff. So it led to this dialogue about eternity. How, how does one get to a place of safety and eternal life? How does one move to a place we would call it heaven and in God's presence? And he said to me, he said, yeah, I don't, I don't believe all that. He said this, he said, me and God have our own thing worked out. And I'm like, my friend, nobody has their own plan of salvation. There's only one way to, Jesus, or to God, that is Jesus himself, the son of God. There's only one path to eternal life, and that is the life of Christ, confessing him as Savior and Lord. But he said to me, literally, I kind of got my own thing with God going. How often do we tend to think about God's promises or God's plan and then modify it to, hey, we got our own thing going on? I know none of you have ever done that, but I have. We hear the word of God, we see the plan of God, and then we adjust it to accommodate our own selves. Let's think about this today. What about disobedience? Why do we tend to disobey God? Well, here's a thought for you. Our disobedience is linked toward the fact that we don't really trust God. We, disobedience is, is, is rooted in our doubts about God. If, if you really deeply believed that God reconciles all wrongs in either this life or eternal life, 
then forgiveness would be an easy conversation. The Bible is clear on forgiveness, by the way. The Bible is crystal clear. The Bible says to us, if you don't forgive men their trespass, I won't forgive you your trespass. You know that's in the Bible? So why do we ever allow unforgiveness to settle in our hearts? How many of you want to be forgiven in life? You want forgiven by God, okay? My hand is up. Both my hands are up. Got one leg up. I want forgiveness. What is the single thing I must embrace to be forgiven? I must embrace forgiving you. I, I, I must embrace the idea that if you wrong me, I'm prepared to step into a life of forgiveness and say, your sinful nature, my sinful nature, we have, we've crossed this river together and we're in this same conversation. We all need forgiven. God help us all. Versus I'm gonna reserve that for a later point when I might need to bring that back up. See, we, 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 we tend to hear the plan of God and go, well, I'm gonna go this way. The Bible's clear on this, that we trust who God is. What about this? If you trust that God's your provider, why do we have a hard time living generously? Why don't I have enough for me? Well, you may have to adjust your life, but putting God in the center of your finances cannot be a bad plan. It cannot be. If he truly is a providing God, if he, if he knows you need before you ask, then God knows everything about you, then you can never come to a place where, hey, I don't really trust giving toward the things of God because it may, not, it, may not make, it may not protect me and my needs. Do you think God doesn't know your needs? The Bible's clear on this. He knows your need before you ask. He, he knows what your needs are for food and for clothing and for shelter every day. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew's gospel that if he can clothe the, all the animals and all the flowers, he can surely take care of you. How much more can he take care of you? Yet, yet we struggle with God's plan, don't we? See, these are just simple examples. We could go on and on throughout Scripture, but when you, when you disobey, it's connected back to a root of doubt in God. Yet we practice this on a human level all the time. For, for example, uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned I'm going on a moose hunt this week. Now, just so you know, I, I'm going on a hunt to a place I've never been with only one guy I even hardly know who's tried to kill me several times in Alaska. That's Pastor David Pepper. And I'm going to get in a car tomorrow and drive with a guy I've never met in my entire life to a place I've never been, get in a plane with a guy I've never talked to, He's going to fly me allegedly to the right place and drop me off and leave me somewhere in the middle of Denali's something area, thousands of miles up there, acres up there. I have no clue where I'm going. And I'm going to meet some people and one guy I know nobody else I actually know. And I'm going to trust that. Does that sound sketchy to you or what? You're like, no, that just sounds like Alaska and have a great time. We do that all the time up here. Normal life, Right. Yeah, a couple miles, maybe 10, we don't know. Why would I be more trusting of an earthly person than I would be of an eternal God? Yet we do it all the time. So let's unpack this today. Let me, let me give you some promises about how to walk in God's plan because I want you to leave with some hope today for your life. Remember, we kicked off with this, that God gives grace to people who don't deserve it. How many thank God for that today? God is a gracious God. God's a faithful God. God's a good God. God keeps his promises for you. So I'm gonna give you three keys today to stepping into God's promise. The first key is this, keep your covenant with God. What I mean by that is this right here. Have nothing more important than your covenant with God today. I would submit that in this life, there are two covenants that we practice on a fluid basis, maybe without knowing. Number one, the marital covenant. 
It's a covenant plan. I've been married 28 years this fall to the love of my life. Not been perfect, but certainly been a great blessing and journey and faithfulness and goodness of God. So today I celebrate her, certainly. And the second thing is, I actually think we're in a covenant with our local church. Now, that may be difficult to process, but I believe God places people in a church for a purpose to build his kingdom, to create a place of his presence for worshiping and occupation, and to propagate the kingdom of God. And I believe God places people. Now, now that's important because in today's climate, especially the Western theology of Western Christianity, we look at church more from a consumer mindset, which means what's in it for me? Well, we're not here for you. We're here for him. That may be hard to process because what? He just said, we're not here for me. I thought this was my church. Well, it's really, it's really God's church. It's really God's house. But God places us here in a covenant relationship, which means if you get upset, you don't bail out. Which means if you have an issue, you don't just run down the street to the next church. You, you process through the journey of life and let God do a work in you. That's a covenant relationship. God's a covenant God. When you look at God's commands, he promised to keep with his people his command. But he simply said you cannot have an additional alliance. As a married husband, my wife is number one. There is not a second plan. There is no backup plan. I don't have a number two in the saddle waiting it's just one. She, it, there, there, there is no second cord in the parachute. There's one. That's it. It's, it's a covenant relationship. There is no plan for salvation outside of Jesus Christ. There is just simply one plan. So keep your covenant with God. De 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 Deuteronomy puts it away. De De Deuteronomy 7 says this. It says, God keeps his covenants with his people for a thousand generations. Think about that. Covenant-keeping people experience the blessing of God for generations yet to come. You want to transform your family? Be a covenant person with your God. You want to see your kids have a different life than you've had? Be covenant with your God today. Here's a second thought for you about God's promises. We're almost done today. You guys still here? Say yes. Number two, quickly. Uh, walk in obedience. <sighs> what does that mean? Remember, uh, Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, keep my what? My commandments. Never stop short of whatever God has said. Now, again, let's go back to this. If I trust who God is, I can trust what God has said. Um, I can trust the people I'm traveling with up to the moose hunt because I know who they are, the ones I do know. Other guys have no idea what they are. I can trust that I'm in a safe place. On the flip side, if I turn the corner and there's four guys in ski masks and chainsaws, we're not gonna get in the plane together. We're just gonna make a decision right there. We're not doing this. This doesn't look very trusting. This has got me concerned for my well-being. I can trust God today. I can obey his voice. I can know that whatever he tells me, when you've parented before, you've had the tension between the idea that your kid thinks that your parenting is for your benefit, when it's really for their benefit. Bless you. We've parented at the level where you've told your kid to do this or that, and they think you're trying to accommodate yourself. When you know it's about them growing up, it's about them maturing, it's not for you. It's for them. You're, you're creating space to see them grow in who God has called them to be. It's not about your plans. It's about being the parent and guiding them toward their best life possible. Walk in obedience. 
which begs the question, which area of your life today are you struggling with this? And what area of your life today have you heard the voice of God, heard the word of God, clearly spoken, and yet you still try to do it your way and not God's way? Is it forgiveness? Is it living generously? Is it loving your neighbors yourself? Is it the Great Commission? Oh, I, I don't talk about God because that's somebody else's job. That's what we pay Pastor Jonathan to do. We pay him to talk about God. No. Your commission to go to the work of the ministry in the marketplace every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, and so forth. Your commission. Did you know that? Well, I'll just do this. No, no, no. God has a plan to use your life because you have your story. Walk today in full obedience. Number three, we're done. Here we go. The third thing about stepping in God's promises is remove all form of idolatry. Now, again, I know you're thinking, well, Marty, idols are back in the Bible days. We don't have idols anymore. Well, we do. We do. Idols change form over time. It may not be a statue in your yard. It may not be something that you bow down to literally. But anything equal to or above God is an idol. Anything that you possess that you feel like if I just have that, that's an idol. If, if I could just have more of this, my life would be better off. That's an idol. Anything above God. The only thing we deeply need today is to experience the presence of God in our life and to know that he's with us every step of the way. And anything else we put equal to or above that is by definition, an idol. Fame, money, power, wealth, addictions, notoriety, list goes on. Anything today could be an idol. If it elevates itself equal to or above God, that, my friends, is by definition idolatry. And Israel found out super fast that you can't live in the land of these other gods and that God not become appealing to you. What's some gods today? I can give you three or four right now. Money's a God. Government's a God. Let me give you one example of this. Have you ever thought to yourself, if we just get one person in office, this changes everything for our world? The most important person in your life is not the next president or the next rep or the next senator. The most important person in your life is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the most important person. He has never been elected. He will never be up for election. He is the eternal reigning King of Kings, period. And he is the one that's most critical to all of us. Now, when you think about this, idolatry is everywhere. And the longer we live amongst other gods, the more we tend to blend everything together. Well, I can have God and this. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't have some of that, but that's way secondary to God. That's out of the mix. This is priority. Remove today from your life any form of idolatry that positions you to believe if I just have that, I'll be okay. When you read the book of Colossians, we get this picture from the writings of, to the church at Colossae that they were coming from their former conduct to their current conduct in Christ. And one of the biggest shifts you have when you leave the old man, the, the sinful man, and come to the newness of Christ, 
One of the biggest shifts is simply this. If I have Jesus in my life, I have the most important thing I'll ever need. And from that, everything else takes care of itself. Because we have a God who's a God that gives grace to people. Now, before I leave you today all dark and gloomy with this idea that, oh my goodness, let me take you back to the opening comment. We still serve a God today who gives grace to undeserving people. So maybe today you've occupied with the enemy in your life. God is still gracious. Maybe today you have lived an idolatrous life. God is still gracious. Maybe today you have positioned yourself to embrace God's plan and your plan. God is still a gracious God. We serve today a gracious God. No matter where you are today, God can redeem you back to his plan and take you to the promise he has for your life. Can I pray for you today? Father, I thank you for your word today, God. Your word speaks to us truth and life and hope. And God, I pray today by faith that we will hear the words from scripture. We will understand your purpose and your plan today and that we will embrace the covenant you have for us to bring us to a place of promise and a place of goodness and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship God today. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.